comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblechild.com slash outnowpodcast. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your Android, iPhone, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking late summer indie films. How many indie films? Is it like 31 flavors of indie? That'd be amazing. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello, friends! Out Now is a film podcast. Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. However, every, however, every now and then, we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it be one of our fun commentaries or something completely different. As Abe was like... Abe and I really fought this week, as I was all Dolphin Tale 2, and he was all No Good Deed. And the two, of course, canceled themselves out, so we figured, <laughs> let's talk about something else different, because... Honestly, none of this seemed like a good idea. We did agree to disagree. Yeah, we did. Um, so we're doing a um, what I'm calling a 2014's late summer indie showcase episode, where we're going to talk about some of the um, some of the smaller films that might have come out towards the end of the summer, um, uh, in kind of anticipation for movies to come out again next week and beyond that, because it's been a very slow late August and mid September so far. Yeah. With that in mind. Uh, joining us for this 2014 Late Summer Indie Showcase is probably a good acronym for that. This 2014 Uh <laughs> We have the senior editor for VeryAware.com wrapping up her meal of pasta and impressions. It's Courtney Howard. <laughs> Hello, everybody. And from things I know about the movies, sad he missed out on this year's Summer Gamble, it's Adam Gentry. Hey. Adam, it's been a while since you've been on this podcast. It has been a while. I'm thrilled to be back. It's just great to finally have some schedules that line up and be a chance to spend no, we, time we with you fine folks. You. No, we, we were you punishing were, you. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's you over. will go to the Who's corner a, of shame. We're over yeah. it. Dodging us. <laughs> the corner and, of shame. And Courtney, glad to have get. you back as well. Yeah, thanks for having me back. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Ready to talk film. Great. All right, let's get some announcement show notes stuff out of the way here. Uh, new commentaries up by the time this podcast is up. It will definitely be up. We, of course, recorded a commentary track for Sleepy Hollow, the Tim Burton film of 99, which is both because why not and because of the tie-in to the other podcast that I host, the Ichapod Cranecast, which covers the show Sleepy Hollow, which begins back again in about a week, about the next uh, Monday the 22nd. Um, so yeah, uh, if you feel like you know, people love listening to our commentaries, so feel free to, I'm sure you guys will like this one just as well too. Uh, a lot of fun talking Sleepy Hollow, Johnny Depp and Ricci, and of course Casper Van Dien, Johnny Rico himself. <laughs> um, what else? iTunes reviews and ratings, good to get those, helps out our show, helps other people find our show. Um, it's easy to do, you just log on to iTunes, you look on, out now with Aaron and Abe, and you write up a quick little review, like a sentence or so, or maybe give us a star rating, either or, and it's just very helpful. Right, Abe? Yeah. I'm patting myself on the back to pat you guys on the back for thanking you for writing a review. I'd like to see what that looked like, because you're in, like, a closet patting yourself on the back while, like, talking. <laughs> I still feel like, like that's really creepy. I mean, just, wow. That Abe records <laughs> in a closet? Wow. No, that he's patting himself on the back in a closet. Ah. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty weird. <laughs> it's got it's got clothing in here. It absorbs the sound. <laughs> I'm cool with the closet, it's just the activities inside the closet that are a little Uh, suspect. I feel like there's worse things you can do in a closet. Exactly. (laughs) Keep me to that. 
This is like the gateway, though. <laughs> yeah, patting yourself in the back. First it's, like, it's podcasting, it's, then it's... I better get the hell out of this closet, then. <laughs> it's a gateway activity to worse yeah. things. Oh, God, did we just bully you out of the closet? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm like Tom Cruise. I've no, never his been wallpaper in the is Tom Cruise and John Travolta just looking at giving <laughs> thumbs ups. So. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's get to know everybody. Each week we uh, ask each other a few questions, try to set the tone for the podcast, and better get to... No, no everybody. A <laughs> uh, little off. It'll sound amazing in editing, I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to start this one off, babe. Okay. Favorite Steve Coogan role? I like Steve Coogan. I think he's done a number of things that I like quite a bit. Do you guys have a favorite Steve Coogan role? Real estate agent, Casper. Really? It's <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind. He's the real estate agent in Casper? He's the one that figures out that there's like something hidden in the house. Uh, Are you they... sure that's not Eric Idle? Is it really uh, Eric Idle? I'm pretty sure it's Eric Idle. <laughs> Mainly because it's like 10 years ago, so it's like, oh, oh Steve Coogan right. being Casper. <laughs> but to be My fair, I mean, they, they look a little bit alike. I know, I see bit. it. I see where you're coming from on that. My bad. Sorry, Steve Coogan. My favorite would have to be uh, the role he plays in the film we're going to talk about, The Trip to Italy. I think he's fantastic. As As himself. Exactly. And the, the artist formerly known as Steve Coogan. In, in quotation marks himself. Welcome, love symbol Coogan. I don't really have a favorite Steve Coogan role. I did just watch uh, the Alan Partridge movie last night, but I think some of the stuff works and some of it doesn't. Um, but he's generally a funny guy. Um, and he was uh, good in a dramatic role in Philomena last year, or Philomania. Yeah, however you want to call it. That's that's the only way I refer to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Abe, you have a better guess now. Uh, I want to say um, Hamlet Two. Hamlet <laughs> Two. The, 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 the drama nice. teacher of Hamlet Two. Rock me, sexy Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> he is a small role in um in the Loop, a movie that I love, and he's in it for like maybe like five minutes, but he's absolutely like kills it in that five minutes, which makes me laugh a ton but, uh, and yeah I agree Adam I think his kind of him, his self role actually I mean everything he does with Michael Winterbottom I really enjoy like I really like him in 24 hour party people I think he's amazing in that movie no it's just it's one of those one of those actors that you really wish were bigger in America that really had a chance to just showcase his range instead of just only having these great roles in, in British films he's kind of the, the oasis of you know modern British actors he's the oasis of modern British actors <laughs> Never made it in America. Champagne shoes for Nova. All right. Uh, my question for you guys is, is there a band that you really, really like with sounds that you don't think that other people would really, really like? I can see my friends' bands from high school. Um, let me think about that question. Let's see. Bands that I really, really, that you really, really like that are but just... But you don't think un- that, you know, like, everybody's ready for them yet. It's kind of like Marty oh, McFly. Like up and coming bands, like up and coming. Or, or just one that is, band you know, that has that's really very present. But just you know, you really enjoy their their music, but you know, Courtney might not enjoy it when you give her a CD. Or you can understand why just people in general wouldn't love this band. Gotcha. Yeah, it's like in Juno when she's just like, yeah, listen to the second album. It's just noise. Hmm. I really love U uh, two and Coldplay, and a lot of people don't. But I have just always thought that they're respective you know, music was just the best and i mean like i've just been so excited this last week with um the new u2 album 
and whatnot, and it's just, I when understand Bono, when how... When Bono climbed down everyone's virtual chimneys and shoved a new album on their computer. Exactly, you know, it's true, <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, I just was so excited by it and whatnot. So yeah, I, I love that kind of stadium rock and roll, you know, kind of epic thing, and even though a lot of people don't. That, that'd be my pick. Yeah. I don't really have one, I don't think, because not that I listen to popular music, but I I don't know. I think everybody should like what I like musically. Um, but I don't really have one. I know people find Jack White to be exhausting, and I'm sure he is, but Lazaretto is really good. Um, that's his latest. And um, if you're a vinyl collector like I am, you'll appreciate like how much thought and work he put into creating the actual vinyl record like there's someone had um he hired somebody to do an etching of a uh an angel that spins when the record is spinning and oh. side a actually rotates backwards so you play from the inside to the outside uh and then on side a around when it's ending, it's a continual loop of a sound, and I don't think that's been done since, oh, I can't remember what he had said, I think since, like, something by the Beatles or something, I can't remember. Um, and then side two is, like, this matte, uh, flat uh, surface that each of the tracks, he has an electrical version of a track and a acoustic version of the same track, and in the middle of the song, they blend together, but depending on where you put your record needle, you can either hear the electric version or the acoustic version. Mm, and pretty, I just that's pretty cool. It's, like, totally genius. And I had to watch a video, like, it's a nine-minute video of how to play a record, but it uh, was totally worth my time <laughs> in watching. So I just think that's total genius. And the music is great, too. It's uh, very pleasing, so... I don't know. I recommend that, but Jack White isn't everybody's cup of tea, so. I'm going to go out and find a record player and that album on vinyl just to experience what you've experienced. It is really worth it. It's worth, it's $30, and it was worth every penny. It's these hard-hitting film topics that really keep this podcast <laughs> going, that's what I always say. Abe, you're a huge Skrillex fan, right? You can just not get enough. No. That's, you, that's your answer to this question? You're just My answer to this like, question would be Zach Brown Band. Not everybody likes Zach Brown, Brown Band. Okay. <laughs> 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 Some people are like, hey, why are you listening to that? It's like, why not? It's good music. I can say I have no real problem with dubstep. Like, it doesn't bother me. Like, it gets, I was like, oh, all right, beats dropped. Okay. Um, <laughs> I like. I mean, I like. I, I, don't, I don't know if anyone like doesn't like Weird Al. I don't know if anyone necessarily seeks him out, but at the same, I mean, obviously people seek. But I mean, I, I can understand. I guess if that's like not a more of like a a thing that people are like drawn to, where I can listen to Weird Al songs, and be like, oh, that's fun. Like, but um, same with like Tenacious D, for example, just like a lot of comedy group bands type things. But, uh, but yeah, Tenacious D is the best band in the world. I know. Yeah, so people really have no excuse. Um, yeah, I have no real nothing I can think of that's like seems like controversial of a thing to like yeah. that others can. Besides, no, I mean, the Bird one is uh, is pretty solid though. Just, yeah, some people were thinking, why would I listen to this comedy album? It's there's funny stuff in there. It's yeah. a solid album. His most recent one. But uh, yeah, all right, I think that does it. Then that's gonna do it for no, no one, everybody, but... and we can move on now. <laughs> <laughs> Seamless. Uh, let's do it on our quickies. Yep. Yeah. 
Each week and out now, we talk about one main movie of the week, but we also have other movies that we see during the week. So, Jim? I just didn't even. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. You just blurred right through that one. If you slow it down, it's so it blazing amazing, fast. That's for sure. It, it yeah, if you slow it down blurb. like tenfold. Yeah. Abe, aside from the stuff that we're going to talk about, have you seen anything else this week? Yes, I started watching Attack on Titan. Oh, okay. That show is on Netflix, it's streaming. Uh, it's dubbed, or I'm sorry, it's uh, subtitled. It's dubstep, you love it? Because dubstep. <laughs> Their heads explode like Key and Peele. Um, no, but it's actually a really interesting uh, anime to get into. Uh, I think the last one that Aaron and I talked about was um, Kids on the Slope on the show. But yeah, it's uh, something that is <laughs> kind of weird, but at the same time, kind of cool. I love getting into Abe's anime corner on Out Now with Aaron and Abe. <laughs> TM? Yeah. Adam, have you seen anything else recently? Uh, I haven't been to the theater this last week, although I spent a significant portion of yesterday watching about four episodes of Breaking Bad and then two episodes of Homeland. So I've been watching stuff, just not anything in the theater this week. You just for season three of Homeland, is that you? Yeah, I started season three of Homeland a couple days ago, and then I've been I'm in season three of Breaking Bad, which I finally decided to do after having not ever seen the show. So I'm in season uh, three. Some crazy stuff happens in season three. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm excited. It's it's uh, it's a really good show. Courtney. Um, theatrically, my main thing of the last week was the disappearance of Eleanor Rigby. All of the versions, all three of the versions. Mm-hmm. So I spent five and a half hours in total hipster heartbreak with uh, James McAvoy and Jessica Chastain. And I will say I did like the longer version um, of their uh, their travails a lot better than I liked them. So do you want to you want to explain how this movie functions? Yeah. Given okay. That three so versions. let's see if we can if the kids at home can follow along um, with all of these these things. So, The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby was originally conceived as just him. And then, because Jessica Chastain had a lot of questions about her character, uh, the director, writer, Ned Benson, decided to build it off into a two-part story with it following her perspective first of the breakup of this couple that was so in love and tragedy befalls them and and how are they going to move on from that. Um, so it follows her perspective first, and then it blends with his perspective um, of the heartbreak and what happened, either just little snippets of leading up to, you know, what happened and and them breaking up. So do they get back together is, you know, the main thing. Um, and so then Harvey Weinstein decided, oh, people aren't going to want to sit through a three-hour, 14-minute movie. So I'm, I think we need to make a shorter version. And the shorter version isn't that much shorter. It's maybe like 45 minutes, maybe shorter than uh, her, him. And it combines both of the perspectives into one. And they use different cuts uh, between her and him as well, like different camera setups and things. Um, But it still is more of like a blending of each of their perspectives. And I don't think that works nearly as well. I would rather spend more time with them individually and getting to know their relationship and stuff on their own, like each of their own personal terms, rather than together. Them left me a little cold, but them just came out on Friday, and the her him version comes out October 10th, I think it is, 
Um, so I suggest everybody wait until her him come out to see it <laughs> in its entirety, uh, rather than seeing them and then seeing her him. You, I mean, you can do what you want. I'm not your real mom, but like, you know, I would just suggest saving the surprise and everything for her him rather than watching the them version first. But you're everyone's favorite podcast mom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a lot of carryover footage? Like, if you watch the combined version and then you watch the other version, is it? I mean, is there a lot of different stuff in each film, or is it just like watching the same movie twice? Um, Truncated. Well, well, the situations are still the same, and you only see, like, in the her version, you only see uh, James McAvoy come in when he comes in in them. But there's a lot more stuff uh, built out with her because obviously when he's not around, she's still doing things independent of him. So, like, it's got another scene with her and her friends, and, like, her friends not being able to say the right thing around her because of this tragedy, and uh, there's more stuff with uh, her and her sister that's in her that's not in them. And then with him, with his, the, the him version, there's more stuff with him and his dad, which is, like, the best part of them, I felt, and he kind of, them, if this makes any sense, them is more her heavy, because I think Harvey Weinstein really wants to push Jessica Chastain for a Best Actress Oscar, so them is more her heavy, and it follows her more than it does him, which I also don't think it has that successful balance between the two stories, whereas in her him, Obviously, you do get a really nice balance between the two stories. If that makes any sense. That's a lot of articles. That's what, <laughs> yeah. I, that's what I've determined in all this. Yeah, it's a lot of a pronouns lot of there. Yeah. <laughs> was, yeah. So, but if you listen way. closely, you can follow it. <laughs> if you can follow what I just said, after you see the movies and you listen to this, you'll get what I said. <laughs> and if you were listening to this podcast as background noise before, now you've fully invested. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I saw The Drop. Uh, Courtney, you saw The Drop, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the film of Tom Hardy and James Gandolfini in his last uh, film performance, um, as well as Numi Rapaz. Um, it's, uh, it's okay. Uh, I, I refer to it more as About a Dog, because um, it's a better title than The Drop. <laughs> yeah. um, but it basically, Tom Hardy's like a bartender in Brooklyn. His The bar that he and Gandolfini work at is a, kind of a front for gangster money drop sites. And um, while you think that would be the main plot of the story, given that it's called The Drop, it's really about a dog. Um, it's, it's about this dog that Tom Hardy finds in Numi Rapaz's trash can, as you do. And they begin to take care of it. And things escalate from there, just based on people that certain other people are associated with. And uh, it's 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 decent. It's uh, it's based off a of Dennis Lehane short story. Dennis Lehane, who did like Mystic River and uh, Shutter Island. The town. The yeah. town, yeah. It's gone, uh, gone. Gone, baby, gone, yeah. baby, gone. The the best of those movies I just mentioned, um, and uh, it's it uh it you know it's it's a fine it's a it's a it's okay like character crime drama movie. It it's a little it's a little all over the place given the number of things that are happening in it. Again, given that it's called the drop, but it's not really about the drop necessarily. It's like all right. <laughs> Well, did they take time out to show you that Tom Hardy actually goes to buy dog food and then feeds the dog? Well, I've been telling you, it's mainly about the dog. So yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's much I'm more just about excited to finally have a. I'm excited to finally have a film in which a bar is a front for illegal activity. 
it's a first, I know. Yeah, that's that's the one thing the movie has going for it. <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah, Hardy is good. He once again does another accent. Um, so plenty plenty of things for him to be you know impersonated with between this and Locke and Dark Knight Rises and Bronson. And uh, Gandolfini is he's good in it. Um, it's a shame that you just can't like you know see more of him being always reliable. But there you have it. And uh, yeah, so that's the drop, which uh, was like one of the other releases this week. And uh, yeah, with that, so that was enough cookies. Tim, let's uh, let's move on now into our series of main reviews, um, where we're going to talk about a number of uh, smaller uh, art house indie whatever fair that's come out in recent months. Amazing movies. Amazing movies. All right, so let's uh, let's first up, let's talk about the trip to Italy. Hey, this is Rob. Oh, hey. Listen, the Observer wants us to do more restaurant reviews. Really? But this time in Italy, and they'll fly you to Europe. Well, first class. It just feels odd doing something for a second time. They go and make another. Oh, it's okay, he's just doing an impersonation. This is the ideal place for a romantic evening. You know I'm not a homosexual, don't you? If romance should occur, we'll deal with it as it happens. Who plays you? Play myself. You can have Jude Law. He has an age like you and I. Well, he's balding. Yeah, but he's got that face. He does. He's got that really young, bald look. This is the um, this is the follow-up film to uh, the trip, which starts Steve Coogan and Rob Brenton as th- versions of themselves, um, where they have been tasked to go on to a restaurant tour in a certain area. In the first film, it was in just the northern, it's like northern England area, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, in this film, they have obviously gone to Italy, where they are once again tasked to go to various restaurants and do a kind of a restaurant tour, while at the same time as they're playing themselves, they basically bicker, uh, have conversations, and try to outdo each other in the impressions department. So yeah, with all that said, I know what Abe is the only person of the four of us that have not seen this movie, am I correct? I believe so. Come on, Abe. I'll ask pointed questions, though. So with that in mind, let's go start with Adam. Adam, I believe you saw this movie back in Sundance, correct? I did. I was I was really lucky. Um, it was it was quite a it was quite a trip to figure out how to get to see this movie. Hey, no. Uh, unfortunately, because I had I had some other movies that I was supposed to watch during that time, but you know, got to a point where you know, I couldn't miss the film, so I was able to move some things around. I saw a horrible movie called Drunk Town's Finest the day before that I was supposed to see during the trip and then was able to, to go. I absolutely adore this movie. Um, it is currently the best narrative film I've seen all year. I mean, I what I really love particularly about these films is, is the commitment to the commitment to the material. Because in so much of contemporary you know, film, as far as, as comedy goes, you have this lowest common denominator effect where they're going to make jokes about generic things, they're going to make jokes about things that everybody, quote-unquote, can relate to. And in things like The Trip and The Trip to Italy, these three guys, Winterbottom, Coogan, and Bryden, are totally committed to making jokes about uh, writers and poets and people you haven't talked about or thought about since your, your world lit class back in college. And yet, they're so committed to the fact that the material is inherently funny and that the jokes work, that they don't feel like they need to leave that stuff out or truncate or whatnot. So as a result, you know, you get this hilarious stuff that you're just not going to get in other movies. It's kind of like the way Woody Allen does it, where you know you don't have to know who Marshall McLuhan is to know that it's hilarious when he pulls him out from behind the little cardboard stand up at Annie Hall to tell the other guy that he's a blowhard. <laughs> um, what I really love particularly about this movie, too, is the changing dynamic between the characters. Because in the first film... 
Coogan is definitely in control. It's kind of Coogan's movie. He's ridiculing Bryden. He's making fun of Bryden. You know, Bryden's along for the ride. Whereas in this one, you know, Coogan seems a lot more insecure. Bryden seems a lot more confident. Coogan, as much as he wants to pretend like he really thinks that Bryden sucks, he can't help but chuckle and giggle and just acknowledge that there are certain things that Bryden does that he does really well and, and whatnot. And then just to see the evolution of the Bryden character is really interesting because he does stuff in the trip to Italy that you would just never see the first guy in the first film uh, doing. But absolutely love it. And, and I'll close by saying it's got one of the best uses of Alanis Morissette in 20 years. <laughs> Courtney, your thoughts on the film? Uh, I liked it a lot, too. I agree with um, mostly all of that. The one slight against it was that I didn't think it really has an ending. Like, I didn't feel like I had, like, proper closure with them. It's more of an open-ended thing. So that was the only problem I had with it. But outside of that, I thought it was just brilliant, just really funny. You really get a sense of the characters. I love that they switched up, you know, the dynamic between the two characters, as you spoke about. And, yeah, and I agree with Alanis Morissette. I'm sure she probably experienced a a bump in album sales after this was released. (laughs) Is it Alanis or Alanis? I never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I've said previously. I think this is the funniest movie I've seen this year. Um, just in terms of getting consistent laughing and just appreciation for the humor. I mean, it's it's one thing to I mean, it's one thing to make me laugh, but it's another thing to just make me continuously laugh. And this movie had me doing that. I mean, it's just so well handled in terms of these guys interacting and like making digs at each other, but also finding this kind of common ground, which I think is much more present than the first movie where it was more of an antagonistic um, relationship in that first film, especially for Coogan going at Bryden while Bryden's more of a kind of wholesome person. Um, This one, it's, the it's just, it feels, it feels more confident, like how to make this movie work where I feel like Michael Bridgebottom as both as both movies are, you know, there's six episode BBC series that have been kind of edited into one two hour movie for both times now. I feel like the the way of doing that for the trip to Italy is just is just better this time around. It seems like they know. I don't know if the the filming experience was easier. Or they had a better idea of how to kind of shape the characters this time around. But whatever the whatever that was, the results are this. You know, it's a it's a it, it's not tighter or it's. Because I think it's like about the same length as the first movie, but I mean, it just feels uh, yeah. more accomplished this time around. And I feel like the like you, Adam, you mentioned that like Bryden has kind of more of a character to work with this time, and I I think that's true. I think he had you know he has an arc to work with. Uh, Coogan to an extent does too. It's more of just how we deal. It's not as much of an arc as much as it is a kind of a a thing occurring with his character involving like it's, his, it's very his much family. role reversal. I think as far as. Mm-hmm. Between the two films, where you know, in the first film, you know, Coogan is just sort of this very much, he's kind of self-centered, he's in for himself, he's telling his girlfriend how much he loves her and misses her on the phone right after, you know, he slept with somebody else the night before, you know, and Bryden's kind of this wholesome guy, and then on the flip side, you see, like, Coogan in this movie is so much more vulnerable, and Bryden is so much more kind of hedonistic and, and out for himself, um... I actually heard a really interesting interview with Coogan and Bride, and they were talking about making moves with, with Winterbottom, and they said, look, you know, one of the things that makes these movies work is that when Winterbottom edits them, he doesn't edit them for comedy. You know, he goes at it for, you know, dramatic arc. And so there are times when he'll take out bits in the scene, and Bryden said he would say, you know, come on, you can't take that out. 
you know, that line is there so that this next line works and it works like this. But, you know, Winterbottom just, he doesn't care. You know, he's committed to, to getting the best movie that he can. And I think that's great because then you've got these two guys that are such gifted comedians and they're laying it down. And then Winterbottom is committed to keeping the thing working as a, as a drama. You have this cool synergy. And one thing I love, I love, 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 um, and it kind of speaks a little bit to the open-ended ending that Courtney was talking about, is the consistent, constant homages to Contempt, the Godard film. Because you've got that, that sweeping theme that comes in and then just disappears like it does in Contempt. You've got some of these great shots of the Italian countryside like you do in Contempt. And then you've got this extremely open-ended kind of ending like you do in Contempt. And I just, I love, again, the fact that you know, when these guys decided to reference a movie, you know, it was something that the vast majority of moviegoers you know, might not have even seen, and maybe this would inspire them to go watch it. It's it was certainly hitting it hard at the at the end, where they're kind of directly referencing certain certain movies and just kind of how they play out. And it, I mean, I agree with you in terms of kind of how Winterbottom's edit this, edited this movie. While it is very funny, I do think it it works as a character drama that just happens to be about comedians who are constantly trying to kind of outdo each other in the humor, when, especially when they're around other people. And there, there's like there's one key scene I think where um where what's where, where uh, Bryden's he's impersonating a talk show host, a British talk show host. And they're ha- he and Coogan are having like a lot of fun together. Like they're both like Coogan's playing himself as a guest on this talk show's ho- show host show, and Bryden he's like they're trying to make each other laugh, but Bryden's like really digging him. He's really expl- he's really he's really going into Coogan in his career, and like as they're talking and they're talking about like Michael Bublé, and like Coogan's just yes. kind of like. <laughs> Kuga's just kind of like the first guest that happens to be there, and he he's making jokes about how like uh, how like how other British actors have done better, how they got to like work with Tom Cruise, and he, and Kuga brings up that he got to work with Tom Cruise, and the guys, and then he goes back and it was like, yeah, but you died in like the first ten minutes of Tropic Thunder, so it's like it's just like little <laughs> things like that where it's like it's hilarious, but it's also like very like self conscious of like what, of, of the kind of roles that Coogan's had and how and how his success isn't as high as it might be. Meanwhile, Bryden's getting this like this arc about him breaking out into like Hollywood movies finally for some reason in like the weirdest way possible. It's like some Michael Mann movie where it's like Rob Bryden's the guy they want. Uh, it's just there's there's a lot of stuff like that in there that just makes it I guess poignant is what I'm going for. Like it just it it's very it's very funny, but it's also it just feels appropriate to who these people are these the versions of that these people are playing of themselves. It just just makes it a, a good movie. I'd also like to add that I've never been so frustrated after seeing a movie about food mm-hmm. where I can't go out and find anything comparable to satiate my taste oh, after yeah. seeing this movie just because the pasta is so fresh and they're right by the sea, so they're getting fresh seafood. And, like, my mouth is watering just even thinking back to some of the things that they were eating and I was going – Oh my gosh, I mean, we have a few good restaurants here in L.A., but nothing comparable to, you know, the food in Italy. So, I, I mean, I saw Euro Dreams of Sushi and I was starving after, but at least I know the good sushi restaurants here to go to and get something, you know, at least, you know, something that will will help satiate my taste, but not with the trip to Italy. So I, I'm still frustrated that I can't get anything like that in L.A. <laughs> That's one thing when you watch the first film again, because I, uh, my sister hadn't seen either, so I took her to see Trip to Italy, and she loved it. So then we watched the trip, and it's so funny because when you watch the trip, 
you don't come away nearly as hungry as you do after a trip to Italy. Like, with totally. trip to Italy, you just want to leave that theater and chow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, certainly a lot of good food shots in this movie, much like much like Chef. A lot of ways to kind of get the appetite going, which is, well, like, it's... I guess it's not not emphasized. Like, it's certainly there, because they're giving you literally shots of the, the of the chefs making this food and everything and bringing it out and putting some some very romanticized camera angles on the food that they're about to eat. But yeah, it just goes well with this movie, I guess. It is because I just really like this movie overall. Uh, another significant improvement for a trip to Italy over the trip, Steve Coogan's haircut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and was, one thing that's, what's, that's so fantastic, too, is there's a scene in Trip to Italy where they end up in Pompeii, and Steve Coogan has those ridiculous pants that come down to kind of mid-shin and stop there. They're like, like crop pants for women. Oh, and the, and the or capri pants. Capri, capri pants, yeah. yes. Well, but I think, don't capris technically, for at least for women, they stop around the knee, right? They don't, uh, or, or is it a wider description than I'm thinking? Uh, I think they're like mid-shin, I guess, maybe. But I love that Bryden does the small man in a box with a man in a box in Pompeii. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh. They're talking about the sandals. <laughs> Those ridiculous sandals. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's yeah. My favorite comedy bit was when Bryden was talking about the the word kumquat. Oh, yes. And, and Coogan <laughs> was just utterly disgusted with the jokes that were coming out of his mouth. <laughs> I still laugh. Like so hard, I'm crying when I describe that scene to people. I love Brian's uh, his his Hugh Grant. It was good in the first film, but in this this movie, it is it is spot on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then of course they're riffing together of uh, which is the clip that's out there. You can see on YouTube of uh, Christian Bale's Batman. Oh, and the, just Paul all Hulk of that. Dane yeah. and the AD that needs to get them to come to set. Yes. <laughs> really worried. <laughs> Do you, Michael Caine? Did you see him in The Dark Knight Rises? And his voice gets even more emotional than it's ever done in the past before. I don't want to bury you, Batman. I will not put you in the ground in a little box. I will not do it, Master Bruce. I will not do it. I'm not going to bury another Batman. Another Batman? How many Batmans has he been burying? How many are there? I've buried 14 Batmans I've buried so far. 14 Batmans. And a little pointy ears I'm into the box. I'm not going to bury another nylon cloak with pointy ears that people wear at birthday parties. With a little belt, a very wide belt that very is flattering to a man with an expanded girth. The, I won't do that to I you, Master Bruce. To I will not do it to you. And I won't make the voice like that. The voice can't even come out of He's basically yodeling. And then Christian Bale says, Why do you say me? The way she says she puts his tongue up her front. I want to be a bad man. I don't want to be a normal guy. You sound deaf. So nobody can recognize him. I can't understand a word you're saying, Master Bruce. Talk to me as Master Bruce, not as Batman. Why, why does he... So he can so have the cloak of anonymity. But Nobody he doesn't sound him. He said, here's that bloke in the cloak with, a, with a, who sounds like he's deaf again. Maybe he's like, deaf it's not hero. anonymous, is it? No wonder when Batman arrives and starts speaking, like everyone starts looking at the shoes. Because they're all thinking, God, why does he talk like that poor fella, you know? And what about Tom Hardy? 
as Bane. Did you catch well, his like, He's like, they like, they're like competing to see yeah. who's the most, the, the least understandable. Bane, you're never gonna beat me, you're never beat me. Take off your mask, love. I can't catch a word oh, you're saying. Oh, Funny thing is, like, when you hear his Brad do Christian Bale, like, it, in one way, it doesn't sound anything like Christian Bale. And then the other way, you can totally hear Christian Bale. It's the weirdest impression. I, I, my favorite, one of my favorite lines is, uh, I don't want to bury another Batman. And then Brian goes, well, well how many Batmans has he been buried? He's like, I've buried 14 Batmans. And I will not bury another nylon cloak. I'm surprised the camera operator or even Winterbottom, if he was operating camera, I don't know who was, but the, that the camera stayed still. I know everybody's a professional on set. But the fact that the camera stayed still and didn't start shaking because the camera operator was laughing. It is a great thing in that scene, too, because uh, they at the very beginning of that scene, they talk about the very notion of going on this second trip. So they're really it's this kind of meta conversation about the film itself mm -hmm. where they acknowledge that it's kind of ridiculous and whatever. But I just love the fact that they don't. You know, they're coming right out and saying, no, look, this is exactly the same kind of movie as you had before you mm -hmm. know, and deal with it. And I love that. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I would watch trip to anywhere with these guys it's just mm -hmm. if they can keep this up it's, i hope they yeah. keep it up i would want, gladly watch more well we were thinking uh the trip to anaheim where they go to roscoe's would be fun we could hear them talking about chicken and waffles <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's move on now that was the trip to italy um, which is in limited release now um <laughs> some places can find it i'm sure <laughs> i guess it's hard let's move on to let's move on to frank i say tell everyone everything why cover anything up? Right? How to describe Frank? One, two, three, four! Well, there's the head, of course. He never takes it off. You think it's weird? Would it help if I said my facial expressions out loud? Welcoming smile. Delighted look. But what goes on inside the head, inside <gasps> that head? I find this inspiring. Is music. So many pussies up People should know about you. You should be famous. Flattered grin, followed by a bashful half smile. Stop saying your facial expressions out loud. It's extremely annoying. Um, this is the film starring Michael Fassbender as a lead singer in a obscure indie rock group, where he, as Frank, wears a giant paper mache head that he never takes off, and he is he and the band, which also consists of Maggie Gyllenhaal as the theremin player, one of the most quintessential instruments in any band um the, that group is joined by Don Gleason's character who is a, a aspiring keyboardist that gets the chance of a lifetime to join Frank in his band the um the Snell it's, there's very few vowels in their band name so I can't really pronounce it it's very difficult to pronounce yes um who has not seen Frank uh me just Adam is that correct Correct. Okay. Um, so if that's it, then I'll, I'll start with Abe since you haven't said much. Yeah. What do you think of Frank? <laughs> I thought Frank was a. It's a very interesting film. It's kind of quirky, and I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit actually. One of the things I really enjoyed about it is its unique approach to music and what people would consider music. Hence my question earlier. And if you, the more that I watched the film, the more that I engaged in their particular style of music. I thought, wow, they've got some uh, some gems there even though it's kind of just this cacophonous mix of instruments going around and 
maybe some strange things that uh, Frank says. But it's also this kind of a, a bummer of a film just because when you realize what Domino Gleason's character um, he's this you know aspiring musician uh, slash office worker and uh, social media light uh, fellow and he's trying to make some stuff work but um, ultimately it kind of blows up in his face and that part is really where the movie takes its dramatic turn which uh, I also enjoyed immensely um, primarily because Michael Fassbender is is amazing when he has uh, some moments of uh, really huge character introspection. Um, I also thought the cinematography was actually really well done. Um, but for the most part, I really enjoyed this movie just because it was very different. It's it's kind of quirky and it's definitely not for everybody. But when you get down to it, it's this pretty uh, cool movie that everyone should go see. Courtney? Yeah, I liked it a lot. Uh, when I saw it, I saw it at... Um right before LA Film Festival, because it was playing there. And I wasn't sure what to expect exactly, uh, and I thought it was a crime that they covered up my Fosse's face. <laughs> Fosse's face. But um, it actually works, and it's funny because maybe about, I don't know, after 20 minutes of him making his appearance, I forgot that we aren't even seeing his face. Like, that paper mache head yeah. just kind of, like, is the character and boss Fender is able to do like do his performance through the mannerisms. And, uh, when they have the songs that they do, it's funny cause I would not consider that music, but then it does, like you were saying, become very appealing. And then when he does have to, when Dom Hall, uh, kind of like pushes him to do something more commercial, you can kind of feel the pain yeah. In him, when he's got to construct that his most, I can't remember what he called it, his most like favorite song ever or the most popular song ever, and it's Coke, lipstick, you know, <laughs> like, and it's all upbeat. You can feel this pain in his voice when he's got to sing upbeat. Here it is, my most likable song ever. Coca-Cola, lipstick ring, go dance all night, dance all night. Kiss me, just kiss me, kiss me, Nefertiti. This is your most likable song ever? Yeah. People will love it. It all kind of works. And I even think that the more the darker tones had an interesting balance in there because there's still like even aside to uh, the character of Frank, like there's still other little poignant, um, sad, really sad, terrible, tragic moments in this, too. Mm -hmm. But then it's somehow we're knocked back into a scene where it's funny again and it gets you to laugh. And I don't know. I just wasn't expecting this and I thought it was a real gem. Yeah. I didn't know what to expect from this movie besides the fact that I am just happy to go along with Michael Fassbender for whatever ride he wants to take me on. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it just, it, it, it caught me by surprise how much I liked this movie. I thought I was going to like think it's like, all right, that was interesting. But yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. And a lot of that comes from, the way it takes itself serious, more serious towards the end, um, with various things happen. But just in general, I was very happy to respond to the kind of the comedy that was occurring and the, you know, the quirkiness of the situation where you have Donald Gleason joining this band and they all basically go on this kind of sabbatical to <laughs> Ireland where they can work out, where they can record an album together. And just the, the way that interaction plays out, I just found very, very fun and very fascinating. And uh, I think Domo Gleason, who I, I still haven't seen About Time yet, so I haven't seen. Oh my much, gosh! Uh, you gotta see it. 
I haven't yes. seen I haven't seen much of him, but I really like him, and especially because he's the. I mean, he's kind of our audience surrogate, but he's also somewhat of the villain here, even though yeah. Baggy yes. Gyllenhaal is also kind of the, they're like they're two sides of Frank. Like really, they're like the not devil and angel, but they're kind of the opposing ends on Frank's shoulders. Where Maggie Gyllenhaal plays not quite Frank's lover, but more of just like his his, like his, his, his creative muse. muse. Yes, his yes. creative muse. That's yeah, a great way to put it. And and Gyllenhaal's hilarious in this movie, by the way. Like mm-hmm. she's she she's like she's she hates Gleason with like a fiery passion, <laughs> and for whatever reason, that makes it into the most hilarious thing I see in this movie. Every time she's just completely horrible to him. Um, while she just wants to do nothing but support Frank and keep him being the person that he is, as opposed yeah. to a more commercial version of that person, which is what Gleason wants, which isn't like a terrible thing because yeah, he wants this group to get the Samelvers to get um, more popular. <laughs> he wants them to be like he wants them to be a thing. It doesn't help that he's now involved in this thing and he's compared to the rest of the band he's not a great keyboard player like he's just he's like he has very little creative juice in him yeah he, which is interesting like the movie begins with him trying to make music and he just doesn't have it like he, he's he's this kind of terrible he's the worst version of an aspiring artist where he's able to quickly latch onto this other group that has clearly found their own thing while he's this kind of guy who wishes he could be that thing but he hasn't but he's somehow found he's he's lucked his way into it and so now that he's trying to like spread awareness of this thing that he happens to be involved with, it make it turns him into the enemy in a sense, which is uh, I think is a very interesting way to present what's ostensibly the lead character, even though Frank in the movie is called Frank, like Donald Gleason's our you know he's our guy that we follow, and it's there's just a lot of things like that at play that make this movie way more fascinating than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, fascinating fastbender is that what exactly, you're saying? Exactly, yeah, fascinating <laughs> fastbender. And just to jump on what Courtney was saying, uh, part. I think, like, yeah, 20 minutes later into the movie, you kind of forget that Michael Fassbender has this papier-mâché head on his head, um, and he just becomes a character. And I I kind of just really dug that about it, too, which is I didn't really care as much anymore about, oh, well, what does he look like or, you know, what why what's going on here? And then when it does hit that, that kind of emotional high-tone beat, um, you do get this better sense of it. And that part was a bummer. It's um, not even, like, surprising, like, in terms of, like, what's going on with him. Like, I wouldn't say I was surprised yeah. by this thing. It's more of a, and I wouldn't say, like, inevitable, but it's more of a a, a reveal of something that makes sense to you. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. yeah, I'm not saying that I was surprised by it. It's oh, just yeah, yeah, more yeah. of, when it when it does occur, it, I'm glad that they delve into it. Because they, they kind of hint at it throughout the movie, and then they, they kind of just uh, give you some more insight into it. But it's not like... You know, a terrible thing that uh, is going to hold back anybody for a certain amount of time. It's just something that they have to explain, and I'm glad that they did explain it. Um, and again, when he's singing uh, with his like his fists clenched, mm. I was like, Michael Fassbender, jeez, I yes, you are the man. Uh, once again, you've proven yourself to be this beautiful dramatic actor, and I will like what Aaron said. I will go on any ride that you take me on. And yeah, they have the. I mean, there's a song that plays over the basically towards the end and over the credits. That's that was performed on Stephen Colbert, and that's available on iTunes, which I've listened to a ton. I feel like I, <laughs> it's currently very high in the play count on my iTunes because I keep listening to that song. It's yeah. quite good. What's the song called? Um, it is called "I Love You All," I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautifully composed because Frank is a true artist. He just makes music out of everything. Whereas Domino Gleason, he's like, I've got this great song. La 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 la. It's like no, I, I love that sign there. That 
point where Frank's just like, music. <laughs> I yeah, I love you all, featuring Michael Fassbender by the Saron Pervs. Friends, we have clouded the chance of meatballs. No, this, that's different. Name. That's the Sullivan's <laughs> number. Yeah. Both acronyms that are difficult to to pronounce. All I would like to say is Chuitel Ijifor. There you go. He has plenty of vowels. Chuitel Ijifor. He's a national treasure, even though he's from England, and that's besides the point. <laughs> so, <there you> go. <laughs> His name is much easier to say and spell, and even uh, Quavenjane Wallace. Too. I'm just excited to see Aaron struggle to pronounce something. That's I didn't struggle to pronounce something. It's called the Sineververs. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> they even pronounced it a couple times in the movie. And lastly, I'm... just uh, Mag Gyllenhaal. I love how she actually telegraphs what she's going to do to uh, Domino Gleason's character. It's like, somebody needs to punch you in the face. <laughs> and then, like, two scenes later, just her punching him in the face. It, I mean, it over. I just want to emphasize, it's a great movie about kind of, like, that kind of indie art scene, that kind of modern art stuff. That I mean, it, it, this could this movie could easily apply to just to not just like rock music or whatever. It could apply to any kind of modern art setting, and even like something like wearing a giant paper mache head could replace the, like, any kind of not disability or anything, but like any kind of Gimmick. thing that separates a character from other people. And it just it just it plays that well without kind of overemphasizing certain aspects of it. Yeah, but yeah I really like Frank. Check it out. <laughs> It's on VOD. Oh, yeah, it is on. It's currently on VOD. Yes. All right, then. Let's move on to the next movie. Let's go on to the Congress. You had it all, Robin. Movie queen at 24, and you slammed all the open doors, crushed all the dreams. Then Aaron's condition started going downhill. Eventually, you will be completely blind. This proposal won't be on the table again. Robin Wright for Jeff Green. You were the future, Robin. You were Princess Bride. And now I'm I'm in this situation. What situation are you in, Jeff? The situation of offering you the last contract that you'll ever have. We want to scan you. All of you, your body, your face, your emotions, your laughter, your tears. We want to own this, this thing called Robin Wright. I have to take care of my son. Robin, things are changing quickly. We're entering a new age. Once we've scanned you, there's no going back. This is a film directed by Ari Fullman, um, who previously directed um, Waltz of Bashir. Uh, which was a an animated story recounting a person's kind of PTSD and uh, seeking of memories of uh, his time in war. Is it? This movie, The Congress, uh, once again features kind of an animation style, which takes place kind of later in the movie, but starts off with uh, Robin Wright playing herself in a kind of a fictionalized version of herself in Hollywood, where she is, given that she is not getting the attention she could be receiving to get more roles. She's given the option to sell her digital image so studios can then use, can create her on screen without her having to actually physically be there to act while she can go off and not act anymore. People for family do whatever she wants. Uh, she accepts this and kind of a turn in the film in the kind of second act is that she 
goes back into the into kind of a future world where people can create animated avatars of themselves and interact in that manner where she's supposed to kind of speak at a congress about the kind of the state of Hollywood and technology and whatnot. It's a there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to describe this movie. And that's the best I can do. <laughs> With that in mind, let's go to Courtney first. Courtney, what did you think of the Congress? It's really disjointed and it feels like it's two movies smashed into one where I kind of think the stuff that works is all the stuff that's all live action. Um, it's beautiful, like it says so much without having to overstate itself. Um, I loved all the stuff in the live action world. But then when it went to animation, I was like, I don't know what's going on. And I know that that part is based on a Stanislaw Lem novel. Um, which follows the same, like, I mean, it's pretty much, it seems like it's very much, you know, along the same narrative lines with that. But I just didn't understand what it was trying to say. It seemed much messier in the scope of what the director is trying to say. I don't know. It just went, I like bonkers movies, but it just went too over the edge for me at that point. But I loved all the stuff live action. I thought that was all great. Um, and Robin Wright is just, I keep wanting to call her Robin Wright Penn, but (laughs) Robin Wright is just, she's really amazing, and it's a shame that she doesn't, we don't see a lot of her working these days, but... She's on House of Cards. She's on House of Cards. Plenty of awards for House of Cards. And she's killing it on House of Cards, quite literally. Yeah. (laughs) I don't watch House of Cards, so... I Yeah, I should probably pick that show up, too. I've been busy watching BoJack Horseman, so... (laughs) Yes! That's my Netflix. That show is... It's amazing. Um, But back to the Congress. Um, You know, I don't... The stuff that works, it really works. The stuff that doesn't just really does not. And there's too much of the stuff that doesn't. So it was kind of like a a very mixed bag for me. I certainly thought that it presented a lot of ideas. And um, I basically agree with Courtney. I think there's a lot of ideas here that are abstract and a lot of metaphors that you would probably have to really think deeply about. Um, I did think that some of the live action stuff was very well done. I think two of my favorite scenes, um, one of them was live action, one of them was animated, uh, was when uh, Harvard Keitel plays her her agent. He explains his story to her, yes, and yeah. it's mm-hmm. like one of the best scenes of the movie. Also, uh, toward the end when she's uh, trying to figure out something about her son, I think that was like one of the, the better sequences as well. Um, and a very subtle rise in scores uh, that I that I uh, noticed. But, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in this movie in the animated world, and you can kind of piece it together, but then it kind of labors on more and more, and you kind of just don't really care at a certain point. And there's just, again, a lot of weird stuff when she meets Clive Owen, voiced by John Hamm, uh, in this movie. <laughs> And totally does look like Clive Owen. Yeah, I was like, why didn't they My just have Clive Owen do that? <laughs> but, uh, you know, he he's, it's, it's again, it's a neat concept of, hey, you know, at this certain point, we're going to just get all these uh, actors and actresses that we like, and we'll just make them forever young, so to speak, and we'll always be, uh, you'll always be working and getting money, even though you're not actually working anymore. And I did like his concept of, hey, you know, I, I've been drawing you for 20-odd years, and I just didn't know how you would actually age as a person. I didn't know how to do that. Um, and that was a neat concept. And the, also, whenever they show the clip of her of her actual movie, I thought that it was neat just because he does so much research on her. He realizes that she's from Texas. So he gives her 
a, a southern accent. Yeah. Um, and it's this really uh, kind of cool idea, but at the same time, I didn't care for it until uh, even later. Um, for the most part, it's just I, I do agree with Courtney. It's a jumbled mess, but they had some cool uh, some cool concepts. I could agree that it's messy, and I can agree that it's maybe overlong. But I was really into it. I I, I really I mean so the live action stuff I think is a given that I think we all, we all like that act that aspect of it just because it sets up such an intriguing idea and it also features some really strong performances from Wright and Keitel and even even Danny Houston who's basically exposition machine but he does it he does it really well <laughs> as kind of guy that screams things at you to make sure you understand what the point is because Danny Houston's good at that kind of thing and I also like him in his animated version too. Are you the actress that's rapping rights? Like it's just it's funny mm-hmm. hearing him do that, but. I the animation stuff. I was while it's it's all over the place in terms of what it's trying to communicate, and there's a lot of different ideas and metaphors and social commentary about the kind of a, a weirdly plausible idea of what what Hollywood can become. Not necessarily to the extent of having animated avatars, but in terms of having digital versions of actors taking you know precedent and having you know like. Uh, people from around the world being able to kind of experience those actors in different ways. There's a lot of kind of creepy ideas that seem fairly logical in all of this that I found to be interesting. But with that said, just the animation in general, yeah, it, I think it, it's it's kind of, yeah, bonkers, I think is a good word for it. But it's so, I, I found, I was just very drawn into that whole experience. I can't say why exactly, but I just felt the, I I, I I felt very in tune with what was going on, or I wanted to keep seeing what was going to happen. I never, I never, I never found found myself feeling bored or not caring about what was happening. I could say that I was maybe challenged at times by what was trying to be communicated. And again, I agree that there is some messy ideas and some some underdeveloped ideas just because it's trying to cram so much in. But I was, I was never not intrigued by the nature of this kind of segment of the film, um, and it, it just kept me kept me going throughout it like it and i just i, I love seeing the kind of the world that was being shown off given the kind of changes in tone from both from satirical to more heavy dramatic stuff um which i thought led well into when the film kind of breaks away again towards the third act when there's kind of a another kind of a, kind of an exit from a from from one world to another mm-hmm. and the way you kind of see characters interact with each other at that point I, I'm, I'm thinking of uh Paul Giamatti is in this film at this point, where you see him towards the beginning and then you see him towards the end, and there's kind of a reaction when you see him again. Where I really like that. I thought there was yeah. just really some, some really nice, poignant things about kind of how we get to see these characters throughout this this film that has you know drastically different filmmaking methods being applied to them. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It is not boring at all, and it actually took me. I saw it at AFI Fest last year, and it took me eight months to write my review <clears> just because I was still thinking about it, and I had no idea what to say about it. To like, I mean, it's a very interesting movie, and even though it is a bit of a mixed bag, I still suggest, highly recommend people to see it, even though it doesn't totally work. It's not boring at all. Um, the animation style is beautiful. And it's fun to kind of pick out the different animation styles that are in that uh, Congress that she goes to. Like, you can see the Tex Avery stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, so that's kind of fun and pleasing to the eye. It's just, it goes a little too out there for me, but there's still things that it's saying. I just wasn't sure exactly what it was trying to say, so... It took me eight months to write the review. I still had it vividly in my mind without having to rewatch it. 
And that's quite a feat for a film to still stay and stick with you and kind of haunt you, you know, even longer after you're done watching it. So yeah. I, I watched it twice in like a 36 hour period because it just stuck mm-hmm. in my mind. It's like, uh, I need to watch this again. So it's like, I just, so I just sat down and watched it completely. And not, not because I didn't like it the first time or not because I had any specific opinion on it the first time. It's just more of, I just, I, I, I felt like I needed to make sure I kind of, I had an understanding of where I wanted to come from when discussing this film, when writing about this film, because it just, it left a, it, it, it did, I, I agree, it did kind of haunt me, I guess, for a way, and in a good way. I mean, it's just, just something mm-hmm. that kept me very, just entranced by what what was being shown to me on the screen. Adam, are you there? Yep. Um, question for you. Did you see Waltz of Bashir? I never did. I saw... No, never mind. I was thinking of Persepolis. I was going to say I saw that her follow-up film, but no, I have not seen Walter Sheer. Okay, well, one thing. That's a really good movie. How about uh, Synecdoche, New York? I have seen Synecdoche, New York. I have. I still have no idea what to make of that film, and <laughs> I saw it when it was out in theaters. That's the kind of exact film I kept thinking of when thinking of like films that associate to the Congress. I think I feel like it had, there's a lot in common between those two those two films. I still I don't I, I still I know a lot of people love. Synecdoche, New York, Roger Ebert said it was the best film of the first decade of the new century. I just, I still think it's an example of, of Charlie Kaufman really needing somebody else to help him filter his own ideas. Because I think, you know, it was sort of Kaufman on Kaufman on roids, and it was just not nearly as cohesive as I think it could have been. And yeah, I just, I don't, I don't feel a lot of the resonance from that film I think a lot of people are supposed to. But if the Congress is like that, I don't know if I feel more excited or less excited. I would say it's like that, just that, like that's a film that it seemed to remind me of quite a bit. There's even another film actually called Cold Souls with Paul Giamatti, actually, which relates to the Congress as well, that also has a similar idea where Paul Giamatti's playing like a stage actor, or he's, well, he's playing himself, but he's playing, he's like, he's trying to do a stage performance and to like better get into the character, he decides to go to the service where you can sell your soul, um, much like Bart Simpson did. And um, he goes through this and just kind of, things happen from there, and he eventually, of course, wants to get his soul back, as you want to do, just like Park Simpson did. And um, <laughs> it's an interesting film. Simpson did it, that's what I'm saying. Anything else about the Congress before we move on? Uh, Robin Wright sings in it. She, she sings does. songs yeah. in it, yeah. She sings Forever Young. And <laughs> uh, there's one more. I bought the soundtrack. I did, too. Actually, Abe, you mentioned the score. I really like, like, uh, Max Richter did the score. Yeah. For, did the film uh. for Waltz of Bashir as well. And he, he does the uh, the score for The Leftovers, I believe, as well, on HBO. Mm. And uh, I really like him. <laughs> and I really like the score for the Congress quite a bit. I'm going to have to check out more of his work. Oh, the uh, fake movie that they're playing when she goes to the Congress. I would totally watch the crap out of that movie. It's like, what is it called? Like, uh, like, robot, was it Rebel Robot Robin? Like Ro- Rebel Robot Robin? Yeah, something like yeah. that. R-R-R. Yeah. yeah, I would totally watch that. Give me that movie right now. And I like, there's like, there's like a little, because um, they can't say Tom Cruise, but there's a little scene involving like a person yeah. that's, all, that's Tom Cruise, clearly, because he's wearing like his Maverick jacket and his glasses, and he has this big smile. And he like, they have this conversation where he explodes, because he's like, he and Robin Wright are like the only two that are like, that went through this process and are like are still around in the future, and it's just there's things like that throughout it that just like just kept keeping me involved that I really liked. Yeah, the kind of, <laughs> and yeah, Abe, you mentioned that Harvey Keitel scene. That again, I, I mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I think that's one of like my favorite scenes of like this year in terms of like just seeing a performance happen. I would have liked to see animated Harvey Keitel for that matter, though. Mm-hmm. We can't always get what we want. Would you have wanted to see naked animated Harvey Keitel? I mean, I've seen plenty of naked anime, plenty of naked Harvey Keitel in general. So I mean, it'd be nice to you know get a different version of that, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah, let's spice it up. Yeah. 
see, when they make Bad Lieutenant the animated series, I'll be on Adult Eddie. Swim. I'll, uh, <laughs> yeah, it'll be a, a show co-starring Cartel and Nicolas Cage. Yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a buddy comedy version where they're both bad lieutenants. One's always naked and one has a lucky crap pipe. Are we good on the Bad Lieutenant references? Is that is that enough? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, then let's move on. How did you come up with any other movies? I did, actually. I uh, had forgotten, but I had a chance to go out to Holly Shorts this year, uh, which is a, a film festival that highlights uh, a program entirely made up of short films. I had a chance to see the Women in Film program, and there were a couple of films that were really outstanding, and I just I think it'd be great for, for your listeners to know about them so they can you know keep an eye as far as if they come out on demand or, or happen to come to their to their area. There's a great one called Relics. It was uh, written and directed by a lady named Jenny Allen. Uh, and the description from her site is, it's a short film about a salesman who tries to sell his miraculous cleaning machine to a sick woman and her skeptical daughter on the day that the woman asked her daughter to help her end her own life. It's a comedy, sort of. Um, it's very kind of Harold and Maude, you know, sensibility to it. And it's really, really a great little movie because it, it manages to be really funny with a topic that isn't funny. Typically, and by the same token, also has a great dramatic arc. There's uh, the main actor. Let me find his name. He's really, really strong. Uh, his name is Seth Kirshner. Um, and he, he, I think he, this guy's got a definite future if he can find the, the right, uh, the right roles. So that one was great. It's called Relics. Um, another one that I really enjoyed was called Nini, uh, which was directed by Melissa Hickey, and it is about this Mexican border town kind of told in flashback, there's a young girl who goes to uh, protest uh, street violence after the death of, a, of a, a young man on the street, and then you kind of see this flashback about how she kind of came back into contact with a guy from her past who had embarked on this kind of life of you know, thuggery, if you will, and it has a great arc to it. That one was awesome. And then finally, there was a really sweet little movie called Little Whispers, The Vow, which was directed by Lena Rosler or Rosler, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, but it manages to be incredibly adorable about these these two little girls are, are going to try to well, when, they, when the eclipse, eclipse happens they're going to capture uh, some sun rays yeah, and, and plant them so they can I guess have a little sun tree or something um, and it's really sweet really adorable and then you get to the end there's a little bit of a twist where you find out kind of what they're really talking about what they're really doing and that. I thought it was just great. So uh, if you get a chance, look for a couple of shorts. Relics, uh, Nini, spelled N-I-N-I, and The Vow, or Little Whispers, The Vow. Cool. Thank you for that. Uh, Abe, is there any other movies that you might want to bring up? That I'd want people to go see? That you want to bring up that relate to this podcast? Eh, no, I haven't really seen as many indies this past summer, which is a bummer. I'm just narrowing it down, because I know Courtney's seen plenty. Courtney, did you see Life, is Life of Crime? Uh, Yes, I did. I didn't love it. I don't really recommend people to go see it because it exists already in a better form called Ruthless People. But uh, I did love the Skeleton Twins. I don't know uh, if any of you guys saw that. I've not seen that yet, no. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's I really was on Sundance, but I miss it. Yeah, it's really great. Um, Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig are just perfect. I can't picture any any other two people playing the role of brother and sister and... That's a great one. I recommend people to go see if they can find it playing because I think it's limited release. And I'm kind of shocked it's not VOD either because I think it would do really, really well on VOD. Um, I, I, I wish it was just a regular release movie. I mean, you have yes. Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig in a, you know, a, a 
comedy drama type movie. I mean, it seems like, yeah, people would want to see that, but no, yeah. it's indie. It's a sad state of affairs. Plus, again, that's the same, you know, the same problem that we run into with all these kinds of films. That there's this vicious cycle where indie movies don't sell. Okay, why don't they sell? Well, they don't get ad money. Well, why don't they get ad money? Because they don't sell. And so then you have these great movies that, you know, we're talking about on this podcast that people may or may not be able to find in Tupelo or, or wherever they might be listening. And it's just sad that you know, they don't have a chance to really get to the audiences that they deserve. Mm-hmm. And it's weird just because the VOD model has been really great for companies like Magnolia and Magnet. It seems to be like the wave of the future as far as like how you get your movies and how they sell. And even Snowpiercer has done incredibly well on VOD. Like, um, I think it's gotten, like, a lot of the money that's come in, I think, has been primarily through the VOD audience. So I'm kind of surprised that Skeleton Twins is not VOD, considering the company that does it, um, it's Lionsgate and Roadside Attractions, and all of their other films have also come out uh, day and date with VOD and... Uh, theatrical, but this one's just theatrical, and I don't know if it's maybe filmmaker prestige that they just wanted it to come out in theatrical, and they said all we can allow you is just you know limited release or what. But it's kind of a shame it kind of handicaps itself that way. But I don't know anything about the movie business, but that's what I've heard and that's what I've read as far as like that's what I've noticed as far as VOD releases and such. But I just watch the movies and tell you if I like them or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> the best job. <laughs> I want to bring up another movie because I know Courtney, you are not a fan of it, but I, I was a big fan of it. Uh, that is Love Is Strange. Word got out to the archdiocese. You've all known this whole time that Ben and I have been living together. The decision is effective immediately. Now, we invited you all here today because, well, your family. With my private lessons and Ben's pension, we need a place to stay. Why are we even talking about this? I'm the only one with the extra bedroom. No, it's not about that, Mindy. It's a Poughkeepsie. I didn't have a very productive day. You know my favorite story of yours? Is it neighbors again? No, it's your uncle. Which one is your favorite? Just now decided to have dinner. Someone's just turned up with a bloody baby. Uncle Ben. Uh, my friend is here. We need to work on a school presentation, and there's nowhere else for us to. Who? That's so gay. He doesn't mean homosexual, Uncle Ben. He just means stupid. Hey, can I have some private time, please? When you live with people, you know them better than you care to. Uh, that is the film with John Lithgow and Alfred Molina, which I think is delightful, but you do not think as much. You want to go into that? No, because I really have a problem with even other films. Like, I liked Like Crazy. I thought it was okay, but I still don't understand why those two can't be together. I was not a fan of Like Crazy. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on. Shout out to my friend Drake Doremus. Come on. He's probably a good guy, but it's like, okay. <laughs> Well, he no, does it's a movie, but there's like some very, 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 very stupid character decisions. With, like, yeah, like, you mean I uh, can't stay in the U.S.? Yeah, that's exactly it. It's like, let me yeah. purposely yeah. make my my green card situation a living hell because of this stupid decision I made, as opposed to waiting for like a week. <laughs> and I really do like the movie. Though, in, a world where, in a world where Anton Yelchin is just knocking, like, he's getting all the babes. 
Because he makes like, chairs. Because he's an architect. Can't make yeah. chairs in London? I mean... Yeah, that too. Oh my god. Don't even get me started with like, crazy. <laughs> I, it's I really a good trailer. It's a good movie. And that's how I felt about this too, where it's like, they're so good together, and it felt like such a plot device to keep them apart, where they could be together if they went and lived anywhere else in the country. But there was even the scene with, I think it was their cousin Mindy or something, where she was like, you can come live with me in Poughkeepsie. And they were like, oh, no. And it was like, really? You could be together in Poughkeepsie, but you're going to turn your <laughs> nose up at it because of New York elitism. And so you're going to willingly be apart and live apart. So I didn't like that at all. So I wasn't on board with that. I think it's like I really wanted to love the movie because I think they're magical together. And when they have their scenes together, Alfred Molina and John Lithgow are absolutely like tremendous. And you wish the whole movie was just them together, but it's not. And it's unfortunate. And I did love the ending of that film, too. Like really love the last 10 minutes with um, the uh, oh, gosh, what was his name? I. The Charlie or something? Yeah, Char- the nephew? Yeah, the actor is like Charlie. Um, Charlie. Tahan, Tahan. Tahan, yeah. I think he's tremendous. Um, I didn't quite agree with some of his character choices earlier on in the film um, because kids stealing library books, that's what the kids are doing these days, and they're getting in trouble for that. I think there's they're an extreme. Of, they're extreme, Courtney. I think there's an, living that, on the end. there's an aspect <laughs> of that subplot that I think is a little underdeveloped, which is my only real main issue with the movie. Um, just to, where they wanted to go with that, because he has like so in the movie, uh, John Lithgow ends up living with his with his nephew and her and his family, which is mm-hmm. it, which is uh, Marissa Tomei, and they have a son named played by uh, Charlie Tahunkard. Um And that character, he has like I guess he like was like kind of socially distant from people, and he managed to get a new friend, and his friends like. He's from out of the country, and he's older than him, but they're always hanging out together. And he's supposed to be a bad influence on him. He's, he's apparently supposed to be a bad influence on him, and there's other, like, there's... It's suggested that there could be more going on between these two, but we right. don't exactly know what. I just feel like it didn't go... It, right. did, it didn't really give us a... It just kind of ends that without giving us much of a, a reveal as to what was really going on. Well, while well, you get some clo- you get closure, closure with, Char- with, Char- with the Charlie Tahan character. Um, but with that, with that in mind, um, I just... I wasn't... I wasn't displeased by the the notion of keeping these two apart for a long time in the film. I didn't feel like it was contrived. I I, I understood where they were coming from. I thought the film laid it out well enough where I didn't feel like it was just a device used to keep them apart. But I, I do agree that when they're together, it's amazing. Like They have great chemistry together. I love that Alfred Molina and John Lithgow are both playing... Well, they're playing real characters that are... That, that are, you know, they're Lithgow and Molina, but they're not... As much as I like John Lithgow and Alfred Molina, when when it, when whatever they play, they're not playing. They're not overplaying it. Which mm-hmm. is, when someone like John Lithgow, you know what John Lithgow sounds like overplaying it. He won like four Emmys on Third Rock of the Sun for overplaying things. <laughs> like he, mm-hmm. he he certainly he can play broad if he wants to, but he's very understated here. And so is Molina. And I, separately or together, I really like seeing both of these actors just doing a, a great job in this film of just playing people. 
and regardless of if they're gay or not, we haven't even mentioned that they're, you know, gay. It doesn't oh matter. Gosh, yeah. Like it's, not, yeah, it's, yeah, it doesn't even factor into it. It does not. Yeah. It. Like the, the, the crux of the plot is the fact that they, they are together and that they get married. And because mm-hmm. of that, they finally, because they're, even though everyone knows that they're gay, the fact that they got married makes Molina lose his job, which is a shame. Um, mm-hmm. and that forces it so they don't have the money to afford the place they're living in. So they have to live separate places until they can find another way to live. And it, but yeah, all, all of that, like that's just, you know, that's, that's shoe leather. That's stuff that's just on this. That's here. That's that's stuff that exists. But it's, it's hard, it hardly matters the nature the nature of the relationship beyond the fact that they just they're just two guys that love each other, and it's a wonderful relationship. You just I love seeing that chemistry between them. But I love I like seeing these kind of I love seeing um, Lithgow trying to live with Marissa Tomei and that and I think she's very good in this movie. I just live with that family and, and being introduced into that dynamic while. Molina's kind of living with these two these two cops that are like party animals, and he can like barely get to sleep. And I just I really like the the different interplay going on between these things. I I didn't. I w- would it be nice to see these two together more? Sure, like they're really good together. But I at the same time I really like just how this film played out. Also, a uh, shout out to friend of the show Scott Mendelson who made a great point the other day, which is, can somebody just give Marissa Tomei a starring lead role again? Like, can we not just do that? Yeah, you don't need to get me started on how much I love Mr. Tomei. Because, oh my gosh. Because, I mean, you mentioned her, and I, I just was reminded of his of his comment the other day, and it's just so true, because she's just such a fantastic actor. I would love to see her get a chance to shine. It's, it's been too long. Was she nominated for The Wrestler? She, I think she was, and I if, I can't remember who, who, who beat her, but I thought she was absolutely perfect in The Wrestler. I would have loved to have seen her one. win. She just needs to find the yeah, right she, yeah. filmmaker to like write something for her. Penelope Cruz and Vicky uh, Vic Cristina Barcelona won that year. She was fine and she was really good, but still I would have to give it to Tomei. Tomei needs uh, Harvard Keitel's Al agent character in her life. Yeah. Maybe. She might. Well, that was a good uh, summation of a lot of the kind of movies that have been recently out. Uh, we can uh, we can move on now to another, uh, another segment here. Let's do some out now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is, of course, where we go over the various questions and answers that we received on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast, where we'll go over, we ask some questions, and various listeners answered those questions, and they asked us some, us, us some questions, so we'll go, we'll give us some answers from there. Uh, Adam and Courtney, feel free to kind of participate in these if you like. You got it. And uh, here we go. First question we had is, favorite road trip movie? This, of course, is coming from the trip to Italy. Uh, Justin has Vacation, National Lampoon's Vacation. Aria has a little bit of sunshine, and does Zombieland apply somehow? Sure. Yeah, it's a road, and they're on the road. Um, Jose, friend of the show, Jose Cordova, has planes, trains, and automobiles. Matthew has Crossroads. No, not really. <laughs> His actual answer is the Muppet movie. Nice one, Matthew. Oh, that's hilarious. Carl has Something Wild and Wild at Heart. Are those road movies? Something Wild is, yeah. sort of, like, and kind of subtly, because she's uh, traveling... Yeah. Needs them to go to the reunion. Yes, yeah, so. We'll uh, allow it this time, Carl, but you're on thin ice, buddy. <laughs> Carl, John, okay. Going for the deep cut road movies. John has Midnight Run, a movie that I love. I love Midnight Run with Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. That movie's hilarious, and it needs a Blu ray. Talking to you, Universal. <laughs> you owe me a Midnight Run Blu ray. <laughs> Scott has Easy Rider. Taryn has Thelma Louise, National Lampoon's Vacation, and We Are the Millers. I think it's like three different decades she covered there. Um, Tammy has Almost Famous. Is that a road move? I, you know, well, how yeah, the, the technicality. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. travel, but there's not a car. I think for road movies, you need a car. Yeah. Or a plane or a train. Jate Man has Passenger Side, starring my main man, Adam Scott, 
any love for Adam Scott, I'll, appre- I'll approve of. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, Brandon Peters has, friend of the show, Brandon Peters has Phantasm 2. I'll just say, nice one. Uh, Matt has Vacation for sure. Jason has Blues Brothers. Great answer. Uh, Izzy has The Hills Have Eyes. <laughs> okay. Um, Philip has The Lord of the Rings trilogy. That's a fun answer. Mike, <laughs> and then Mike Jones has Hot Tub Time Machine. That's not a road movie. <laughs> like, you seem really excited about this answer. He has an exclamation point. It's like, time travel and travel are I, two separate things. I, yeah. No one said road trip. Not that it's a classic, but I, it seemed like it was an obvious answer. Um, but yeah, all right. Yeah, I got to give a shout out to uh, David Lynch's The Straight Story. Okay, because <laughs> that is sort of the, it's the strangest film I think in the Lynch filmography, just because it's completely unlike any other Lynch film ever about a, uh, a guy who decides to go see his estranged brother, but he can't see well enough to to, uh, to drive his car. So he ends up driving a John Deere tractor. <laughs> and it's just delightful. No one said uh, Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> uh, no one said uh, Elizabeth Town. <laughs> no one said Elizabeth the Golden Age either. <laughs> That's a great road movie. I love the part where Clive Owen's just like soaring with the wind, brushing on his hair. Oh my gosh. It's like, I'm on the road. It's great. And when, when she yells that when Blanchett goes, you know, fetch my carriage, you know, come on. Sideways, Tommy Boy. Nebraska. 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 <laughs> nah. It's a good movie. <laughs> All right. Our next question is, uh, favorite movies featuring lead characters with their faces obscured by some kind of mask or helmet uh, for the duration of the film? Et cetera. Et cetera. Uh, Philip writes, The Predator, which is a pretty cool answer. Originally played by John claude Van Damme before being replaced. Did not know that. Yes. Uh, friend of the show, Mark Hoban, writes, uh, Star Wars, Darth Vader. Justin writes, every Batman ever, also the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So when he wrote Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I kind of thought he meant just because they're wearing masks, but then I remembered, <laughs> oh yeah, they're just people in costumes. <laughs> like, I didn't really think about the, the implication of that answer at first. <laughs> Danny writes, Dread, OMG, this question was made for the movie. Uh, Corey Stevenson also writes Dread, the Carl Urban version. Yeah, that's, and that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> that is a good answer. He doesn't take it off. He's the law. Uh, April writes, V for Vendetta. Ooh. I would uh, I would shout out uh, Edward Norton in Kingdom of Heaven. Ed Norton? Mm-hmm. I like that Predator answer a lot when I was reading the boom. Good answer. Yeah. Good job, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, uh... let's uh let's move on now. Let's get to our, our questions here. We got some questions to have to answer on the show. And uh, Philip asks, any chance of an Out Now Nights episode for Only Lovers Left Alive? I'd love to do an Out Now Maybe? Nights episode of Only yeah. Lovers Left Alive. That's uh, still in my top five of the year. I love that movie. It was uh, great. Tilda and Tom are like the coolest couple ever. Yeah. Tom and Tilda, <laughs> the new indie band. <laughs> oh, I like that. Uh, yeah, I, you know, who knows? We'll see. We'll, well see. Yeah, we'll 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 pencil it in for now. Yeah, I, I could. I'd love to. I've I've seen that movie three times at this point now, and uh, I'd love to. I'd love to have a, a chance to talk about it more than I have on this show so far. So we'll, we'll table that one for now. <laughs> Jason asks us. What film would you guys uh, watch after drinking a few beers? See that some, some comedy maybe. It's tricky because I don't drink, so it's a little difficult to ask which which movie I'd watch after a few beers. Yeah. Normally I do stuff like you know comedy just because yeah. I don't want to watch something that I have to really think about because I feel like I'm not being fair to the film. I'd probably watch Dear Zachary again. That movie's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> just get a few beers, maybe some pretzels, and just sit down and just have a laugh. All right. Um, next question. Philip asks, what was the last movie that actually scared you? I like this question. I was trying to think of one. 
Um, uh, Abe's a scaredy pants, so he probably got scared after watching the trailer for Dolphin Tale too. I mean, I, I did. Know. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, like, how does Eric Connick Jr. do it? I don't know. Abe, do we both? Are we both going to say VHS two? Is that our answer? I didn't. I didn't see VHS two. You didn't see it yet. Oh, because because, because, because of how you, because of how, because how scared me. I was. Yes, you texted me, and I was like, if he got spooked, I probably would throw up in my chair. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I would say the the the, the third segment in VHS two, directed by Gareth Evans, who did the. <laughs> trying to not say Edwards because that's Godzilla. Evans, who did the raid and the raid two. Am I saying? Yeah, that is right, right? Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of Gareths. <laughs> um, yeah, that that segment is amazingly terrific and visceral and intense. Um, before that, though, I'd have to probably say Wreck two. I think was the last movie that like really scared me. So I think those Wreck movies, the first two Wreck movies, are terrifying. <laughs> I, I'd throw an Insidious, uh, primarily because... Uh, I think I saw Rex, the Rex after Insidious. That's yeah, because uh, I, I wasn't huge on the Rex, uh, which we talked about with... Uh, Gerard. Uh, Gerard. Uh, but yeah, Insidious, uh, I remember, again, I just I couldn't look into a mirror for... For that evening. <laughs> and you couldn't watch episode one either because you're feared of Darth Maul coming at you. <laughs> in the painting, I think that you and I are the... That is yeah. terrifying. When uh, that shot and the painting moves and he's in it. Yeah. That is terrifying. Yeah. He came it's, out uh, of the screen. He came out of the screen. As long as I, as long as I don't watch Insidious Chapter 2, I'll be, I'll be fine. Cause that oh my be, gosh. That would be hilarious. Chapter 2 is a laugh riot. Yeah. Like, every yeah. shot with Patrick Wilson standing ominously somewhere is amazing. Oh. <laughs> Don't you dare. Adam, do you have a movie that scared you? Uh, you know, I recently saw the the first episode of Bates Motel. Okay. So it's, it's not technically a film, but good lord. That was some scary stuff. And I'm, you know, I don't have a high threshold for... I, I'm kind of like Abe in that I, I don't have a high threshold. Yeah, I know you're not an exactly a horror stuff. movie connoisseur. Yeah. But yeah, that definitely scared. And then I, I actually finally caught up on Cabin in the Woods and had a, a similar reaction where there were just a couple moments there where it was... Uh, I, that, I was so startled. There's some, there's some, I mean, as much as that movie, you know, plays as a kind of dark com- commentary and comedy, there's like the scene where like, she's like, she's, she's going after that wolf and you think in any other movie, this wolf would like come alive and bite her face off. And there's like, there's so much tension when she's like dancing in that, like front of that, <laughs> that wolf head. It's like on a wall. Yeah. Cause she got dared. Among other scenes in that movie. There's some scary stuff in Cabin in the Woods. Indeed. Like, Clowns that can't die when you shoot them. Merman. Uh, <laughs> And lastly, is the well, Exorcist... Hold on, hold on. Oh. Courtney, is oh. the Skeleton Twins spooky? Is that what uh, No, it's not spooky at all. Okay. Um, I would say theatrically Insidious, and then I just watched The Strangers. Oh, my God, yeah. The str- yeah, uh, you, were t- you were tweeting about it. Yeah, The Strangers yeah, yeah, is yeah. terrifying. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Holy crap. Like, I, my technique of watching... Because I'm a wuss when it comes to that kind of thing. So, especially <laughs> when I watch it at home... My technique is to turn the volume down. <laughs> so oh, yeah. it was like probably usually I watch movies that like say volume thirty five to forty, but uh, with that one it got down to like twelve. <laughs> so that's there's how some, quiet there's... I wanted it to be so it wouldn't scare me, and it was still utterly horrifying. Yeah, the strangers has some very excellent sound design in that movie to really oh, my crank up the tension. Yes. Yeah, there's uh, those types of that genre of like yeah, home, home invasion, invasion stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, oh, yeah, that stuff. I, I I generally really tend to stay away from just because it's real. Because it's yeah. more chill. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh... like I I also hate from the trailer. I've never seen the film, but from the trailer, it's like, why are you doing this? Like, 
because you were home. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous that movie. (laughs) Like, nope, (laughs) gotta go. I am just so thankful that we have a home alarm, and I armed it as like within the first like maybe five minutes of the movie. I armed the alarm on our house. Yeah, don't ever miss a court. She's also got like fifteen guard dogs. Um, there's like a mercenary in her home as well. No, basically what she did was she got Michael Haneke to uh, do her home protection plan for her. (laughs) Nobody nobody messes with her, man. That's right. There'll be no funny games here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Panic room. (laughs) Uh, I remember remember seeing a... It's it's sort of similar. It's not a home invasion movie, but but something like No Country for Old Men. When you have that... There's some tense stuff in that. character where he's just doing things because he can and because he... He has given himself the out with the coin. And it's amazing just because, you know, you can't reason with this guy. Because in almost every other movie, you can always reason with the criminal or, you know, offer him money or whatever. And that's one reason why, spoiler, if you've never seen No Country for Old Men, the ending is so great. Because Kelly McDonald's character actually beats him. Even though she dies, she beats him. Because she forces him to make his own choice. And, you know, exposes the farce a little bit. Even, even though it's kind of a moral victory. It's there, Gosh, there's some scary stuff in that movie. Mm-hmm. There is. It's always more scary when it's real, when it's something that's more psychologically terrifying than, than say, blood or gore or something like that. I mean... Well, there's a reason why the... the uh, for me, at least, the scene in Saving Private Ryan where they're going to shoot their prisoner after making him dig the graves, for me, that is infinitely more terrifying and affecting than anything in that first half-hour sequence that everybody always talks about. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the Adam Adam Goldberg getting stabbed with a knife. Yeah, that, that was not pleasant. As he's, being, yeah. as he's being shushed. Yeah. Uh, well, also as he's, like, screaming for help. Like, yeah, that was not with easy to watch. Jeremy just sitting out there, not doing anything. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's anyway. move on. Uh, there's the, we we we'll, oh. we will get to uh, there's we'll we'll have more uh, horror conversation in October. There's some bonus episodes that I'm planning that should be really interesting to get into. We can talk more about things that scare you. And um, I want to add, we have uh, another answer for our, our previous question, Abe, uh, for the uh, characters with faces being obscured by some kind uh-huh. of mask. Uh, Taryn adds Frank's mask and Donnie Darko, Jason oh. Voorhees, Michael Myers, and Leatherface. So she went the slasher route. Right. At the end yeah. There. Which is which makes a lot of sense. So, and yeah, the the Frank mask and Donnie Darko—that's a good answer too. Can we count the part at the end of uh, of Howard's End when Anthony Hopkins turns away from Emma Thompson and like puts his hand up so she won't see his face? No, moving on. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, <laughs> Last question from Izzy, very quickly: Is is there any movie that Hollywood won't remake? Uh, any such thing as a movie off limits? Yeah. Go, go, no one's gonna remake Gone Off the Wind. No one's gonna remake Citizen Kane. No one's gonna remake Casablanca. Like <laughs> those are simple. <laughs> uh, Deuce Bigelow. <laughs> They'll never remake that. Yeah, I mean Rob Schneider. That guy was like Oscar worthy in that movie. Uh, I mean, there's yes, there are lots of remakes and reboots. Mike Jones' favorite word ever, and um, sequels and whatnot. But no, there's 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 clear limits on things. Uh, with, I don't know about that, Aaron. I really don't, because I mean, they, I think they're they were intending to remake Seven Samurai. They so did. I mean, it's called Magnificent and Seven. No, but I mean, that, that, that's, that's what it is. That, right. <laughs> but I mean, there's a contemporary remake with like uh, I think they're going to be contractors, like military contractors. No, the remake. Well, they're remaking Magnificent and Seven right now with Denzel Washington. So I just I don't really know that there are any sacred cows. I'd be I, very I'd be very interested to see the remake of Citizen Kane. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'd watch it on principle. I'd watch it just because I want to see what that movie is. Hey, man, Gus Van Sant remade Psycho. Shot for shot. <laughs> you got it. So anything's possible. 
I remember watching, uh, just because it was hilarious, the commentary for You Got Served. Mm-hmm. And they were treating, the filmmakers were treating it as if that was their Citizen Kane. I mean, it is. And <laughs> I guess. Maybe this is the the father of all of the uh, dance movies, and I should be thanking it, but the commentary on that movie, wow. I mean, as we know, the father of all, the godfather of all dance movies is breaking, and the mother is breaking, too, like your boogaloo. That's true. <laughs> but, uh, I mean... Yes, I do think there's such thing as a movie that's off limits. I think the three that I described, among many others, that I just can't foreseeably see be, you know, remade. There are, I, I believe, there are limits. <laughs> Mainly because I don't think I don't think Hollywood would say Citizen Kane's a movie that could really sell these days. Let's get you know, let's get Tom Cruise, let's get Tom Cruise in there and see what we can do. Like no one, no one, that's not a conversation anyone's having. Audiences don't want to see a movie about some old man that's like had a legacy sometime. And, and that's like a parable for William Randolph Hearst. No one like wants to see that movie. <laughs> Starring John C. Riley, I'd kill to see that movie. I'm, I'm saying I'd see this movie if it happened. <laughs> well, I'm just saying it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. All right. There's such a morbid curiosity there. It'd be amazing. Is that it? Is that the end? Of yeah. It? yeah. That's feedback. <laughs> feedback. 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 All right. Let's move on then. It's uh, actually we do our sponsor. Did you find a book? I did. Um, well, then let's talk about it. Let's talk about today's sponsor first, which is audibletrial.com slash podcast. You can find over 150,000 free audio, or not free, but audio, uh, book titles to choose from. You can download one of them for free if you go to audibletrial.com slash podcast. You can download that book on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, every three device of any kind. Abe, do you have a book to recommend? I do. It's Small Man in a Book, written by Rob Brydon and narrated by Rob Brydon. It's huh. a, it's his memoir. Um, and it's uh, eight hours and 45 minutes, so if you want to listen to Rob uh, talk about his childhood, about comedy, uh, impressions for eight hours and 45 minutes, do so. Sounds awesome. Um, but yeah, you can download that book or any of the other titles at audibletrial.com slash podcast. You can download the book for free. You can check out the service. If you don't like the service, you can get rid of it, but you get to keep the book that you downloaded for free anyway. So yeah, be a winner, read, or listen. AudibleTrial.com slash Shatna Podcast. Also, not commonly known, there's a her version, a him version, and a them version. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now. Uh, hey, what, what time is it? Oh, Aaron, I think that we got some time for some games. Very uh, trip to Italy-ish. <laughs> no, it's awful. It's awful. <laughs> that is, of course, the improv theme for games. And, Abe, I have a game that we have not played in a while. Celebrity Tweets. It is Celebrity Tweets. Oh, it is! Oh, I was just guessing. <laughs> it's Celebrity Tweets, right. Summer Wrap-Up Edition. I have That's ten exciting. tweets here, completely real and not made up in any way. Yeah, we'll go with that. And uh, you're just going to have to guess who the celebrity is that wrote this tweet. It's it's pretty straightforward, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, like, whoever doesn't know how to do this, I mean, so really? Here we go, I'm just going to read this first one. Again, this is completely real Celebrity Tweets. should be easy enough to get. Here's the first one. The success is great, but getting into great shape was a chore. At least Marvel's got me taken care of for life. Oh, Abe, uh, Hugh Jackman. No. Oh. Chris Evans? You're close. Sam Jackson. <laughs> it was Chris Pratt. It was a Chris Pratt tweet. Ah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Good idea. Uh, yeah. How was I close? I picked Captain America. Well, you, you picked Chris, Chris Evans. You picked Chris Pratt. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you chose a Marvel movie. So you're very close. Don't understand yourself, man. <laughs> Here's the next one. This should be easier. King of the Apes, Ape on a Horse. It's still a lot of fun for me. Andy Circus. Andy, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's the next one. 
It was fun having everyone watch me get back into massive shape and travel through time to save the mutants. Hugh Jackman. It's uh, Patrick Stewart. It's a Patrick Stewart treat. That's a, yeah? yeah. yeah. He, he looked pretty fit. Yeah, he's, he's, he's active on Twitter, too, about these kind of things. You should see his at, things back. At the real Patrick Stewart? Yeah, his Instagram is great, though. Well, with the, with the Ian McKellen photos, those were bomb. Yeah. Here's the next one, next celebrity tweet. Maybe next year I can be in a movie where nothing bad happens, I don't fall in love, and there's no terminal disease to deal with. Hmm. Shailene Woodley? It's a good guess. Jake Gyllenhaal? It's a good guess, too. It's uh, it's Godzilla. It's uh, Godzilla. Ah, I didn't know he was on the Twitter machine. <laughs> he had, yeah, he is. He has his own, yeah, it's um, I am Godzilla 89 because there are 88 other Godzilla tweets already. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see him like write something about why he like spit volcanic lava into uh It's because he fell in love. Oh. I love it. I love it. It's like these are extremely straightforward celebrity tweets. They're completely real. And then it's like, I am Godzilla 89, guys. This is what he said. This is the real one. No, it's verified. It's a real. Come it's on. A, it's a verified account. Yeah. It's got a check mark next to it. Here's the next one. It's an honor to have directed the biggest film of the summer. Uh, James Gunn. That's a good guess. I, I forgot to mention the hashtag, hashtag July 2014. It was actually Michael Bay. Michael Bay tweeted that one. Ah, oh, July 2014. Okay, wow. I, 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 I missed that one. I'm sorry. At I, the real Michael Bay. Uh, here's the next one. I like a lot of movies this summer, but I think Think Like a Man 2 was Cray Cray. Uh, hmm. I want to say that that was uh, Lena Headey. Kevin, Kevin Hart? It's a Glenn Close. That was a Glenn Close treat. Glenn Close? Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, she's super <laughs> she big. She does up. use yeah. the word Cray Cray. Yeah, she's always right. saying Cray Cray. That's, <laughs> that's, classic, that's classic Close. Classic, right yeah. classic Close. That's what they call her CC. Classic Close. Uh-huh. Here's, here's the next one. Uh <laughs> Alright. Um, uh, Robert Rodriguez said, Strip, and I said, okay. It was fun, but I needed to work on my dance moves. Mm. Jessica Alba. It's a Josh Brolin, actually. I can uh, see where the confusion comes in. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. true. He did have that nude scene. The, uh, the outtakes, I'm sure, on Sin City, <laughs> colon, a dame to kill for, will be, uh, we'll make sure. Can't wait. Here's here's the next one. There's only a few more. Rollsy. Here's the next one. This is a this is a tweet longer one because this person had a lot of things to say. Oh yeah, multiple multiple tweets. It was more than 160 characters. I'm just justifying it right 140. now. 140. Yeah, here here it goes. It says uh, there were a lot of big hits this summer, but they weren't all as huge as some of as some would have liked. It is really showing how the United States economy and grasp on popular media has changed compared to the much more financially rich areas as far as film goes in overseas territories. Yui Ball. I want to say that's like. <sighs> was oh, it was Miles Miley Teller? Cyrus. It was Miley Miles Cyrus. Teller, wasn't it? It, those are all good guesses. It was actually the little baby from The Giver. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it, it has a Twitter account. Yeah. That baby is very insightful. It grew I mean, up fast. It's, it's... See, see, now you're just screwing with us. I'm, what am I? I'm telling you, these are authentic tweets. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't make this game if it jest, Adam. <laughs> I'm, not one, I'm not one to jest. Yeah. I, I, I would heartily disagree, sir. Here's another one. Here's another one. Can't wait to see some full frontal dongage in Magic Mike 2 in 2015. Hashtag sweaty. Uh, that's definitely Jonah Hill. It is Jonah Hill, that's the right it answer. Is? See, I told you, these are yes. easy. You got, it. you got it. Yes, I'm so glad I follow Jonah underscore underscore Hill. That's a pacing into the check. That's exactly what I had written down. Was, wow. Yeah. Okay, last one. After swinging around everywhere, I still have a huge wedgie from the costume. Mm, swinging Andrew around. Andrew Garfield. It's close. It's Emma Stone. It's Emma uh. Stone. So yeah, that's celebrity tweets. That's, uh, those are... All real. All authentic, real, verified accounts. Very active Twitter accounts, especially yeah. from, from CC herself. Especially from Godzilla89. Godzilla89. Yeah. He loves this podcast, by the way. Oh, wow. He should write a, an iTunes review. <laughs> That'd be great. It's a Godzilla89. Just, just like button matching. 
Uh, let's go into... <laughs> so that was games. Let's go into Out Now Presents What's Out Now. These are new movies coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. It's streaming this week. Uh, speaking of Godzilla, Godzilla comes out this week. Uh. Um, which I reviewed uh, the Blu-ray of on com. actually. It's a terrific Blu-ray. Um, a little short on extras, but if you want to just play it really loud, you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck on that one, because the sound is excellent, as well as the video. Uh, the Fault in Our Stars also comes out on this week. That, <laughs> that, that lack of response is like how high you guys are on The Fault in Our Stars. Um, Courtney, did it. you? Yeah, you liked it? Yeah, Yeah, I liked it a lot, but, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where I love Shailene Woodley in anything, mm-hmm. and I was having a conversation with Jeff Nelson, and we were talking about how magical she is, and, uh, you know, I would go any, I would follow her anywhere and watch her do anything, even if it was, like, killing puppies or something, I'd be like, those <laughs> puppies probably deserved it. That's you were it. within your right, Shailene Woodley. You know probably, it's probably in the sequel, the, spectac- the Spectacular 2, they <laughs> like, go around killing puppies. Then I'm sure she is within her right. <laughs> but I think Laura Dern did a really good job in that film, I think. I agree, actually. Yeah. I like. I mean, I like the movie. I didn't love the movie. I like that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Think Like a Man 2 comes out. That's not a movie. You yes. see. Because we still don't understand why women talk the way they talk and men talk the way they talk. And I think I mean, it's yeah. a thing from Mars and Venus. Have Glenn Close saying cray-cray? Yeah. Oh. That's just crazy. Well, if Glenn Close endorses it. <laughs> uh, Sleepy Hollow Season 1 comes out of Blu-ray this week. You can tell that I would happily endorse this because I host an entire podcast focused on this show. So, yeah. that's a, that's a And we just did a, a commentary. A commentary. But yeah, that's a that's a fun show. Anyone that hasn't caught up on Sleepy Hollow and wants to get into something really ridiculous, but also strangely fun, very character focused, it's a good show. Um, Ghostbusters one and two come out on Blu-ray this week. Ghostbusters is getting a re-release in 4K, and Ghostbusters two is making its very first debut on the Blu-ray format. So that's out there in a very spiffy two Blu-ray set, actually. Um, of course, Abe and I, as well as uh, Leah and uh, Mike, we all talked about Ghostbusters a couple weeks ago. We, which was a fantastic... A lot of fun. Event. Yeah. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the 40th anniversary edition, comes out this week. That's just a spectacular horror film that also... Dinner scene is the worst scene. Dinner scene is the worst scene, but that's a film that also does not focus on blood. There's very little blood in that movie, yeah. uh, yet it is entirely effective, especially if you're watching it in the right setting. It could be incredibly scary, because people that sprint after you with a chainsaw is not fun. So there you go. Just work out more. Uh, Hannibal Season 2 comes out this week. If you want to read a spectacular review about Hannibal Season 2, friend of the show Brandon Peters has one over at Why So Blue, um, and he does great justice to a show that second season is absolutely terrific for many, many reasons. Um, Arrow Season 2 comes out. Does anyone watch Arrow? No. I don't watch Arrow. I've heard very good things about Season 2, though. I heard Season 1 was like, okay, Season 2 is like they did a really good job. So. Um, From Dust Till Dawn, Season 1 comes out this week, the show that was on Robert Rodriguez's El Rey Network. Um, I couldn't get through the first episode, so if anyone else is a fan of From Dust Till Dawn, you know, it's out there now. Let us know how it is. And uh, lastly, Spartacus, the complete series, comes out this week. Um, I love the show Spartacus, so if you haven't seen that show, the entire series is now coming out this week, and that's a fun way to catch up on it. And uh, yeah, so that's that. Um, that's that. Episode, so it's out. Now, next week's show, we have The Maze Runner, which I believe is either about a Native American boy trying to help his tribe or a sci-fi dystopian film about people stuck in a maze. One of those. Pretty two. sure that it's none of those. It's a movie about corn. Yeah. It's a documentary. Ah, okay. It's like a kid that dreams of mazes. Is that what it is? Corn yeah. thing? But yeah, that is the film that we'll be covering next week. It'll be an official episode again as opposed to these Woo! episodes uh, because it's something that comes out. Uh, but yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. 
Um, last question before we, you know, wrap up here. What should people go see now? It's been a bit of a drought here, but what what would you say people should go see in theaters right now? Mm, Skeleton Twins. Skeleton Twins. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'd go see Trip to Italy if you can find it, and then if you haven't, just go watch Guardians of the Galaxy again. That's my exact answer too. I don't both. Abe. Oh, I said Boyhood. Oh, I didn't hear. Okay. Boyhood. Boy, yeah. Okay. Um, I will always champion that movie. All right. With all of that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog at CodaZeke.com. You can find all my written movie reviews as well as at YSubBlue.com for all my Blu-ray and theatrical reviews. You can also find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more fun stuff at WalrusMoose.blogspot.com and Twitter.com slash WalrusMoose. Hashtag HBO Go? <laughs> Hashtag Destiny. Um, uh, Courtney Howard, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, you can find me at veryaware.com and also on Twitter at at Lulamaybell just at Lulamaybell Okay. Adam Gentry You can find more of my stuff at my blog, things I know about the movies located at everything you always wanted to know dot blogspot.com and on Twitter at twitter.com slash iltwinanarchists You gotta tweet more, brah I've been tweeting. Y'all. Godzilla's tweeting more. Godzilla's Dude, tweeting more. My, my, my tweets be cray. You cray cray. Cray cray. Thanks to tweets. Hashtag yo. Oh, uh, let's just let's just get into a Twitter war of Glenn Close. Let's do that. <laughs> you can of course find all the other episodes about now with Aaron and Abe over on iTunes and at Stitcher, as well as at hhwld.com. That is the podcast network that hosts our show along with other podcasts, including the. Ichapod Cranecast, which of course I host with friends of the show, Brandon and Maxwell, where we talk about new episodes of Sleepy Hollow, which returns into a week from now. Also, the Walking Dead TV podcast, which returns soon as well, and other shows about comics and TV and fun stuff like that. You can also find our episodes over at outnow.podomatic.com, as well as soundcloud.com slash outnowpodcast. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know some of the smaller movies that you've seen that you like champion that have come out in recent months. Also, an article that's over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, and tweet at us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. You can also follow us at outnowpodcast.tumblr.com, and of course, there is the voicemail line, 972-798-383. Zero. You can call that number, you can leave us a message, and we'll be happy to play it on the show, whether it be a, a response or a question of some nature. We'll be happy to hear you guys out. And so with all that said, Courtney and Adam, thank you very much thank for you. joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much. For sure. And uh, yeah, until Abe and I get lost in some sort of labyrinth next week, that's going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, so long. And goodbye.
Yes, you texted me and I was like, if he got spooked, I probably would throw up in my chair.